It was a bracing experience, I'll say that much. It's kind of like looking at your face really close up under fluorescent lights for a really long time. The stand set up and the microphone and the chair and there's an iPad with my book on it. It made it feel like I really wrote a book. When I get lost in an audiobook, my dog gets a longer walk. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet writer and musician Jonathan Myberg, professor of sustainability science, Dr. Kimberly Nichols, and professor of journalism, Dr. Sonora Ja. Listen in as each of these authors shares the inspiration behind their books, whether that be a connection found with a remarkable bird of prey, bringing climate change feels into everyday conversations, or empowering feminist parents to raise feminist sons. Plus, hear what it was like for these authors to record their audiobooks. Enjoy. Hi, this is Jonathan Myberg, author of A Most Remarkable Creature, The Hidden Life and Epic Journey of the World's Smartest Birds of Prey. I wrote my book because of a happy accident. I was in the Falklands in 1997, working on a separate project about remote human communities. And I met the birds in the encounter that I describe in the book without even knowing really what they were or expecting to see them. And they just seized me. I wondered about where this curious, social, inquisitive creature that I sort of immediately wanted as a pet, even though I also thought that would be a terrible idea, had come from. And when I realized that Darwin had wondered the same thing, I was even more intrigued. And I just kept following this thread of trying to answer that question. Over many years, sometimes actively, sometimes just, you know, almost as a hobby. But the more I tried to answer this question of what were these birds and where had they come from, the further back in time the answers kept leading me. And it started to open an entirely different way of looking at the world. So I was drawn into the subject. And then when I started to connect the story of William Henry Hudson to the story of these birds and all that we don't know about the world, the more excited I became. So on the one hand, it is a book about birds, but on the other hand, it's kind of a book about everything. And I think you could start with almost any species and go with this level of depth and detail and pull out a story just as large. But the thing that sets these birds apart to me I think, is their, for want of a better word, their humanness. It's so easy to identify with them, even though their journey into existence and in the world since they became themselves has almost nothing to do with ours. It's sort of like we've been evolving along parallel tracks and to suddenly meet in this extraordinary place. It made it a a really engaging and exciting subject to work on. Like all authors, I often got frustrated in the process of writing the book, which seemed to take forever. But I never lost the enthusiasm for the subject and the interest in the birds. And my hope is that that enthusiasm still comes through. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be painstaking. I think because you don't really think about the sound of your own voice talking and to sit with it under a microscope for hours on end, trying to make sure that you got every single word pronounced at least intelligibly. (laughs) It was a bracing experience, I'll say that much. It's kind of like looking at your face really close up under fluorescent lights for a really long time. There are some words that you write that you almost never say, and there were a couple words like 
prescient, I think, and chiaroscuro. I think that I, I don't know that I'd ever said out loud. Of course, now with the internet, it's easier to look these things up than it once was and ask a robot how to talk. The words striated caracara and also the words wasps nests, that's a <laughs> notoriously difficult pair of words to say. And your tongue really trips over them. And like with most things, if you start focusing on not screwing up, you're definitely about to screw up. I'm proud that I was able to get to the end. <laughs> but more than that, well, this is a, more of a problem that this text presented me with, was there are several characters who speak, and I wanted to nod towards their voices without trying to completely imitate them, because then it seems like it would turn into a sort of radio drama. But I decided to try to mimic the bird's actual calls as best I could in a few places. And then the voices of Brian Duncan, Josie George, and Rambo Roberts the men that I traveled with in Guyana, were especially difficult to deal with because they have a really interesting regional accent that I can't duplicate, but I wanted to at least give you some sense of it in order to differentiate them from other characters who speak. And Brian in particular, Brian has just this wonderful voice. I didn't do an imitation of it exactly. His real voice is a little bit more, it's more high-pitched, it's more like this. But I just felt too strange trying to imitate that voice because I thought it might make him seem a little bit sillier than he actually is. Those guys were the biggest challenge in writing the book because they're such intelligent and thoughtful and careful people. And there was such a privilege to travel with them. And my great fear was that they wouldn't be rendered in depth enough or as enough as real people because they have some superficial differences that are profound. That's why I gave that journey an entire section of the book was to really to try to make sure that they could come alive as much as possible. My dream narrator for the book would have been Werner Herzog. And in fact, when I was proofing the book, I was reading the book out loud to myself, or sometimes to friends when they were tolerant. Just to try to amuse myself, I would read things kind of in a Herzog voice. And it turned out that William Henry Hudson's quotes sound really, really good in a Werner Herzog type voice, which made me realize actually how much of his way of talking and writing kind of owes to the 19th century. It's been a long time since I listened to an audiobook, but one that I really enjoyed, I remember, was The Hobbit. I was on tour with a band, and we were driving across the U.S. And, and listening to it. And I remember noticing, I don't know if it was because of the way that the narrator was reading it or just the age I was at listening to it again, because I hadn't read it since I was a child, how many really interesting moral lessons there are in The Hobbit. Most of all, the dwarves in that book are correct about their claim to this mountain that they're trying to get hold of and the treasure inside it. But the thing is that just being right isn't enough. It's one of the big lessons of The Hobbit that you can be right and still be an asshole. And I thought there was something about the audiobook that brought that forward to me in a way that reading it had not. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. Tierra del Fuego's wooded slopes and valleys are carpeted in mosses, ferns, and sundew its trees draped in pale wisps of old man's beard, and where its forests meet the sea, flightless sea ducks and giant otters shelter in a labyrinth of coves, inlets, and cobbled beaches that seem freshly carved from the bedrock of the world. Charles Darwin saw these southernmost forests in the early months of his adventure aboard HMS Beagle and thought their grandeur rivaled the tropical woodlands that blew his mind in Brazil. But in these still solitudes, he noted, death instead of life, is the predominant spirit. 
Hi, this is Kimberly Nicholas, author of Under the Sky We Make, How to Be Human in a Warming World. I wrote my book to answer the most common question that I'm asked about climate change, which is, what can I do? And I wanted to answer that question both in a really concrete and practical way to give really specific advice, but also to illustrate some more general principles. So kind of teach someone to fish rather than give them a fish. That's how I kind of came up with the idea for framing the book, that I wanted people to understand what the problem is and why we have it, and I think then be able to figure out what they can contribute for themselves. So I don't want it to read like, here's a checklist of everything you have to do, but rather here are some principles you can go from and here's how you can adapt them and adopt them in your everyday life. I was inspired by especially some of my closest friends from college, many of whom I write about in the book. The conversations that we've been having over the years where we can really talk about anything and everything. But for a long time, that didn't include climate change. And I think being able to sort of face all these climate feels and have ways to talk about really hard things from other experiences, whether it was going through divorce or the death of a close friend and spouse and the ups and downs of life that we've been through together, kind of gave me a framework or a way of thinking about and talking about climate change in hopefully a new way that is more relatable. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be thrilling. I mean, it maybe sounds a little too much, but I think I was like really on pins and needles coming into the studio on the first day and seeing all the equipment and the stand set up and the microphone and the chair and there's an iPad with my book on it. It made it feel like I really wrote a book. <laughs> it's like maybe the first time I've actually really had that feeling. I haven't held the book in my hands yet. So I think somehow this experience made it feel more tangible. And I really love the audio medium. And it's something that I enjoy as a listener. So to get the chance to read the book myself was really thrilling and fun for me. I realized I had trouble pronouncing so many words. I actually asked Sophia, our engineer, to help write down some of them so I could keep track because there were many of them. I'll just share a sample with you here. So hopefully I'm giving the right pronunciation now, but I'm not 100% confident. Solace, dystopic, not dystopic. Perseverance, I really think there should be another R in there somewhere. Yeah, this one I'm still not sure. Cadre, I think that's how you say it. I know what it means, but it sounds weird. Substantive. Substantive, substantive. One of those is probably correct. Swathes, swathes, I think it's swathes. Then at the end, machinations. Pretty sure that's right. I'm proud that I was able to develop the skill of reading a book. I mean, I grew up, my dad always read to us, even until I was in high school, he would read me chapters at night. And my husband and I read books out loud to each other. So it's something I love doing. But I think to sit and do it as sort of a focused exercise was intense. And I feel like I learned some skills of pacing and better to stop before you absolutely need to and have a sip of tea, take some breaks and come back to it and also the ability to try and recover from inevitable pickups, as we call them in narrating audiobooks, I've learned, and go back to where you messed up and carry on from there. There's probably some life lessons there. So I'm happy that I got the chance to work with this amazing team and help develop those skills.
If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Tina Fey because I just think she's super cool. She's so smart. She's so sassy. She's really fun to listen to. She's great at delivering a line. And I read her book, Bossy Pants, but I've also listened to the audiobook, which she narrates, and it's so fun to listen to her. So that would have been great. But I'm very happy also that I got to do it myself. An audiobook that I listened to recently that I loved was Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I listened to it last summer when I was in the garden. It's a book about both scientific and traditional indigenous ways of knowing around nature and plants. And she writes as both a scientist and a member of a Native American tribe. And it was so interesting to hear her perspective kind of bridging those two worlds and weaving them together. And then it was really special to be in the garden and working with my hands, being outside, working with plants myself while she was narrating her book and kind of linking what she was saying to what I was actually seeing and experiencing at the time was really neat. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is probably the kitchen when I'm making dinner or cleaning up after dinner. It's really nice to be able to do something physical with your hands and then also be taking in information at the same time. I really like that. I used to listen in bed sometimes, but my resolution for 2021 is not to have my phone in the bedroom. So now I'm not doing that anymore. And I do miss it actually a little bit, but I think it is better for me to not have that screen around and get better sleep. And now listen to a clip from my audiobook. Through my years of avoiding talking about the climate elephant in the room, I was like most Americans who know climate change is happening and are worried about it. Only 10% don't believe the unequivocal fact that humans are warming the climate. But still, unlike the vocal climate dismissives, most of the climate concerned majority stays silent, reporting they almost never talk about climate change with friends and family. Many feel like it's someone else's problem. Polar bears, perhaps, or politicians, or people unlucky enough to be born somewhere poorer or sometime later than they were. Hi, this is Sonora Jha, author of How to Raise a Feminist Son, Motherhood, Masculinity, and the Making of My Family. I began by writing an essay called To Raise a Feminist Son, Talk to Him About Aziz Ansari. That was the first piece of this book that I wrote right after the whole Aziz Ansari story had come out in 2018. And from there, it sort of started growing, this idea of sharing some of the things that I had thought through and worked through with my son in order for him to be a feminist man. I didn't think I would write this kind of book at all. I was trained to be a journalist, and I thought I would write journalistic things, write about other people's lives, and hardly ever about my own life, and even novels. I like writing novels. And so I was really stunned that I was leaning into memoir and writing really, really personal stories. So that kind of took me by surprise. And once I started to write personal stories, I just kind of went with it. I really believe that we can have wonderful men. I love men, contrary to what people say about feminists. I truly, truly love men, and I have great, great hope in men. I just feel that we've all 
done not a very good job of raising men and loving men into being kind to kind of like sort of nudge and shift and prod us all into just raising boys right and holding them close and telling them, you can be better, you can be a really good, good human being. And so then in a generation or two, we'll have wonderful men. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be surprising. I was surprised because I didn't think I would enjoy it this much. And I hadn't imagined I could bring a variety of emotions to my voice. And apparently I did. I realized I had trouble pronouncing, and now I have to be careful pronouncing it, it's doc- doctoral. And I have a doctoral degree. I'm proud I was able to keep my authentic urban Indian English accent and also reflect the intonations that have crept in during the 21 years I have lived in America. I'm excited that parents may be able to find something about their own lives and their own families and sort of connect it with the stories of my family and my upbringing of my son. I'm excited that they will see the possibility with me of raising good men. And I was thinking of who I might want to narrate this if I hadn't narrated it, and I racked my brains and I couldn't think of anyone. I thought of, you know, great actors in India, but I wasn't able to come up with any name. And I think that might be because the story is so personal to me that I can't think of someone else narrating it, so I'm glad I got to do it. The last audiobook that I listened to that I loved was Thick by Tressie McMillan Cottom. She has such a warm, witty, and also vulnerable way of discussing some really tough subjects. I want more and more from her. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is while walking my dog. When I get lost in an audiobook, my dog gets a longer walk. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. In 1996, when my boy was one year old, researcher Phyllis A. Katz published an article titled Raising Feminists, in which she pointed to one significant contributor that determined whether or not a child would grow up to be a feminist. Parental behavior. For one, Katz pointed out, Many children rely less on gender role stereotypes if their mothers have been employed outside the home. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.